0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning, North Valley. Was that not some amazing worship or what? Woo! All right, well, we are still in this series, Love and Marriage, 11-week study through the book of Song of Songs. We are in week nine today, The Art of Romance. But let me just take a little poll here real quick. Who is, if you're a single in the room, don't check out on me. You're going to get some of the best premarital wisdom from the word of God. And if you're married in the room, you're about to get some more. Ninth week in a row of some great wisdom from Song of Songs, from Solomon, from the word of God. But here's what I want to do. If you're married, even if your spouse is not in the room with you this morning, I want you to stand up. If you're married, stand up. Be proud. All right, look at all that. All right. For those of you sitting, your time will come. T- all right. So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to sit down, married people. If you've been married no, 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 wait. If you've been married less a year or less. All right. Sit down if you've been married five years or less. Okay, a couple newlyweds still over here. All right. 10 years or less, please sit down. Oh, okay. 20 years or less. Uh-oh, still standing. What do we got, four? Four couples over here? More than that. Oh, more than that, okay. 25 years or less, please sit down. Wow, 30 years or less. Oh, 35 years Uh, we got two left. 36 years, 37, 38, 39, 40. Oh, round of applause for this couple, right? How many years? How many? 50 years married. The rest of y'all, when you struggle in your marriage, you go talk to them right there. 50 years. This coming September 22nd, Dina and I will be celebrating our 28th wedding anniversary. I think I got a picture for you. I got a picture for you. Aw. Look at Dina's makeup. Ain't that a trip? Dina's parents were married 42 years up until my mother-in-law passed away about eight years ago. We got a picture of them too, 42 years. My parents, who will be listening to this later on the podcast, love you, mom and dad, this last January 10th celebrated their 57th wedding anniversary. I got a picture up there for you. There's me, mom, papa. Yeah, round of applause. My, 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 My dad still drives my mom crazy with his constant I love yous. Love you, mom and dad. Uh, Many of you know that I'm also a pharmacist, and so I do drugs. I mean, I dispense drugs (laughs) all week long, and um, my specialty is diabetes care. I'm a I'm a clinical pharmacist, and um, I was just sitting with one of my patients, uh, crying with her, praying with her. She had just lost her husband of 64 years. You know what she said? I am so lost. Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher found them in the Guinness Book of World Records, longest on earth known marriage. Best reason to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. This North Carolina couple went down in history for having the longest marriage, 86 years, nine months and 16 days. You got 36 more to go. You know, in my own marriage as a pastor in counseling couples for over twenty years, premarital, postmarital, I found a few nuggets, some a few truths that, that marriages successfully last for the long haul. When couples understand these things, like they put holiness before happiness. They honor God by honoring their spouse, which will lead to more happiness when they understand that they need to stay present in the relationship, be there, be there for each other, being together, when they understand this, that nothing changes if nothing changes, that's tweetable right there, tweet that. (laughs) Your minds, your attitudes, your expectations, yourself, nothing changes if nothing changes. When they understand things like love is a decision, it's not some feeling or emotion, it's a choice. When they don't hold grudges or bring up the past, I love this quote that says, a perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. When they choose not to just go through stuff in life, but to grow through stuff in life. You hear what I'm saying? When they believe that the grass is not greener on the other side, the grass is greener where? where you water it. They're intentional and they work hard at continually making themselves and their marriage and their sex life better. They passionately pursue their spouse. They passionately pursue each other. So we've been in this 11 week series, this study through the book of Song of Songs and we have talked about things like the art of attraction, the art of dating, the art of engagement, the art of marriage, the art of intimacy, the art of love. A couple week, a couple weeks ago, the art of conflict. Anybody have a fight that Sunday afternoon? Okay, we had more in first service, I guess. Um, last Sunday, the art of resolution. Hopefully the, the ones that fought the week before made up last Sunday. If you've missed any of these messages, I encourage you, go online to northvalleychurch.org slash sermons or get the podcast through iTunes. Today, week nine, we land in Song of Songs chapter seven. And so turn with me in your Bibles or go on your Bible app uh, to Song of Songs chapter seven. And here's what we're gonna see today. This is the take home truth right at the top of the message. Passionately pursue your spouse. Passionately pursue your spouse. Why do so many marriages lose their romance? The, the heat of passion and all displays of tender giving seem to vanish. And then couples accept this as normal. Not true. They say things like, oh, that's just the way it is. Or when you've been married as long as we have, you know, you'll understand. No. The honeymoon was over a long time ago. No. No. Not true. That's not the way it has to be. One of our best resources for this series is the Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. He says this in his book, listen. He says, in too many marriages, time seems to erode away. Slowly but surely, communication, caring, affection, sensitivity, intimacy, and spontaneity. He says they've lost the core of what made them a couple in the first place. He says, the two may look back and question what happened. After all, nothing of a serious or prolonged conflict seemed to have occurred. There were no times when divorce or separation seemed imminent. Rather, the two stopped turning toward each other and began turning away from each other to individual pursuits and interests and family matters at large or or needs that seemed to to, uh, beckon their attention and care. He says they they neglected the burning coals between them until their, their passion died out completely. Does marriage have to degenerate into such a sad state of affairs? No. No, he says. God has a much different desire for marriage. In God's plan... In his plan, the romance continues throughout the marriage. In fact, he says it builds and grows into a loving and passionate marriage that is even more wonderful in its latter stages than it was in the beginning. He says a marriage that cools and grows stale, listen, is not biblical. It is worldly wisdom that makes it acceptable. He says, rebel against such error. He says, many people recite vows to love, honor, and cherish a spouse, and then they proceed with their marriage without a good knowledge of how to keep them. Love must be shown. Honor must be expressed, he says. Cherish is an attitude that must be displayed. Passionate marriages are so by design and intent. He ends that paragraph with romance is a discipline. It's a discipline. It's not just flowers and candy and jewelry. And most of you ladies are going, oh yeah, sometimes it is. Um, But it's listening and helping, making eye contact when you talk, speaking gently. And for my wife sitting down and watching Pacquiao fights, you know, things like that. As we talk about romance this morning, though, I wanted to have a good working definition. Here's the best definition on romance. Romance is expressing tender desire, keyword tender, to be with another person and making them feel special and valuable even when they don't deserve it. You're like, oh, Pastor Randy, the first part was great, but that last piece, even when they don't deserve it, passionately pursue your spouse. As we're gonna see here in Solomon chapter seven, Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 30, he said this, <clears throat> there are three things that amaze me, no, four things that I don't understand. He says how an eagle glides through the sky, how a snake slithers on a rock, how a ship navigates the ocean and how a man loves a woman. That should have been our band jam today, huh? When a man loves a Okay, I'm gonna sing for you. So here we are. Song of Solomon, chapter seven. It's years later now, and they're back in the bedroom again. On their wedding night, if you remember a few weeks back, he started at the top of her head and he worked his way down. Here in chapter seven, he starts from her feet and he works his way up. And he says, starting in in verse one, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. That's the key, guys. Tell your wife how great her feet look. No, I'm just kidding. But here, here, the picture here is he's on his knees before her. He literally worshiped the ground she walked on. You see, back then it was customary then for a servant, when the, when the master or the mistress came into the palace, the servant would remove the shoes, their shoes, before they walked on all the fancy carpets in the palace. And the fact that she even had sandals, Unlike slaves and the women in the harems meant that he, he fully trusted her when he wasn't around. He didn't control her or confine her. She was completely trustworthy and honorable. He was proud of her. He goes on moving up her body. Uh, second half of verse one, verse two, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Now, guys, I don't think we should ever describe our wife's belly as a heap of anything. But what he's doing here, he complicated what he alone knew to be true about his wife. And he focused on the positive, not on the flaws. She was still perfection in his eyes. Wine and wheat there, they're signs of harvest. He was complimenting her fruitfulness and her diligence that she indeed was the crown of a proud husband. And then he goes on in verse three, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Sound familiar? He said the same thing on their wedding night. In other words, she is forever young in his eyes. The fire had definitely not gone out between these two. They were still acting like newlyweds. Now, I understand, you know, as we get older, certain things about sexual intimacy might change over time. Some aspects of lovemaking may take a little longer, for example, but every couple can maintain a desire for each other and a delight in each other, sexual or not. If, as a couple, each has a desire for and a delight in the other, you can experience that same forever young aspect, of your sexual union, regardless of how old you are or what your body looks like. My parents are both, you saw their picture earlier, they're both 77 years of age. And I realize that you know some activities may not be, not, not be occurring still, but they still have this passionate desire for and delight in each other. My, I watch my dad, he still pursues my mom. He still says things like, yo mama gives me warmth in the winter and shade in the summer. They just heard that on the podcast. But may that be for every couple. Verses four and five. He goes on, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. See, on their wedding night earlier, he referred to her neck, remember, as a tower of strength. And now it's an ivory tower, great in strength, but now also in value and in purity. She stood tall and proud as his wife, this regal dignity about her. He saw holiness in her eyes. He he saw her as pure. Nothing in her was tainted by guile or sin or guilt. He took refuge in her the refreshment she gave to his soul and the delight that she provided after a hard day at work. You show me a man who can come home from work with a wife like that and who gives him that kind of refreshment and joy and I'll show you a man who was eager to get home after work, amen? That's all the amen, guys? hmm Not this, you know. And look, and it says she had a nose for sniffing out trouble. That picture there is she looked out for him like no woman was gonna get his attention or draw him away. No one could hurt him or his reputation. She was his lookout post. Man, I know Dina has been that for me. In over 20 years of ministry, there's no greater counsel than I've ever received than from my wife. In fact, I always say, isn't it amazing how sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds like your wife? And she's one of those wives, don't mess with my husband. Like, she will protect me. He notes his wife's hair here was like a crown. Carmel, it's, it's pronounced there, was one of the most beautiful parts of Israel. Purple meaning royalty. She was truly a queen, worthy of all times of, of wearing this royal crown. He saw her as being worthy of recognition as a righteous queen at all times. There's a reason that my wife, Dina, has a coffee mug at home that says queen of everything. Because she is. She's my queen. Husbands, treat your wife as the queen of your home. Be as totally captivated by her as he was captivated by his wife. He was the most powerful man in the world at the time, and his wife owned him the strong woman beside the strong man. I remember when I was in seventh grade, three brothers, Richard, Randy, Ronnie, my older brother, Richard was in ninth grade. I was in seventh. My little brother was in fifth grade. My mom had had this medical issue called a hiatal hernia. Some of you know what that is. And and back in those days, they didn't have laser surgery and all of that. She had to go in major surgery. They cut her whole body in half and opened her up and fixed this tied her esophagus and everything together up here. And she came out of surgery. She was on the ventilator. And for some reason, her lungs filled up with water and she drowned. Literally flat line, code blue. Everybody came running and they revived her and she lived and all of that. You saw her picture. She's very much alive today. That shook my dad up so bad. Now, we were blessed to grow up in a home with a stay-at-home mom. My dad was a hardworking man and Richard, Randy, Ronnie, and we were all boys. I mean, we were hooligans. And There were many times where, you know, wait till your father gets home, you know, or she was calling my dad, you know, when you get home, you got to spank him first and then him second and, you know, never Randy because I was perfect. No, I'm just kidding. But that shook him up so bad. I remember this vividly as if it was yesterday. He came home. He sat us all three on the couch, Richard, Randy, Ronnie. He told us what happened. We, were, we got emotional and upset and we're crying, but mom's okay. She's gonna come home. She's gonna be fine. And then he said, and things are gonna change around here. He said, your mama is my queen and you're gonna start behaving and you're gonna start doing your chores without asking and you're gonna do your homework without asking. And, and it did change. To this day, my mom is the queen. He spoils her rotten. There's a joke in my family. Mima gets three votes on anything. You know? Still my dad's queen to this day. That's what was modeled to me. And that's what we see here. Look at verse six, he says, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. I mean, he was spellbound by her. He was fully captivated by her. Though king of his entire domain, he was like a slave to the charms of his wife. Verse seven, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. Earlier, we saw that she was a garden. Now she's an oasis in the desert a place of rest and refuge and refreshment and and nourishment and pleasure to him. When they courted, he was attracted to her beauty and her intrigue and her bloom and potential. And now he's no less attracted, but now attracted to her stateliness and her her fruitfulness. And he's grateful for all that she gave him. He only wanted her. He's essentially saying here, my home is wherever my wife is. That's how I feel about Dina. You ask her, she'll tell you that. Wherever she is, that's where I feel the most at rest. And so how do we do this? How do we passionately pursue our spouse? Number one, passionately pursue your spouse with tender words. We saw here these whole seven, first seven verses, he's praising her, not for what he could get from her, but what, for what he saw in her. Husbands, are we getting this? Dina reminds me all the time that intimacy means into me you see. (laughs) Tweet that. Say what you want to see. Say what you want to see. If you want someone different, be someone different. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. You get what you give. Romance is about giving, not getting. It's about appreciating each other and encouraging each other and respecting each other and valuing each other and trusting each other, admiring each other. When I, when I counsel premarital couples before their wedding or even postmarital couples struggling in their marriage, I say this all the time, marriage is not 50-50, That is worldly wisdom and it's a lie. Marriage is 100, 100. The world wants to tell us that marriage is not, that marriage is give and take, and it's not. It's give and give. Passionately pursue your spouse. Romance is about tenderness. He began here with tender and romantic words in expressing his love for his wife. Husbands always start there. Our wives want to know how we feel in our hearts way more than how we respond to the feel of them in our hand. You see, over time, women, ladies, let me tell me I got this right. They spell love T E N D E R N E S S, love and tenderness. No, um, men spell love R E S P E C T, and I ain't going to sing that one either. Am I right? You show me a woman who feels that her husband deals with her tenderly with kindness, good manners, generosity, genuine affection and understanding. And I'll show you a happily married woman. Regardless of external circumstances that might come against their family, this woman will have no desire to seek tenderness from someone outside the marriage. Husbands, passionately pursue your wife with tenderness. And you show me a husband who feels that his wife deals with him with respect and admiration and appreciation, upholding his dignity as a man and thankful for his protection and provision. And I'll show you a happily married man, regardless of the stresses of life. That man will delight in coming home and closing the door behind him so he can be with his wife and family. Am I right about it? Wives, passionately pursue your husband with respect. See, husbands, if, if tenderness is not there for our wives, either quietly or loudly, they will withdraw and they will find a tenderness substitute. Oftentimes the kids. Wives, if respect is not there for your husbands, they'll seek it out at work, in their hobby, with their friends. Listen, when husbands fail in tenderness and wives fail in respect, the fire of romance becomes the embers of romance and then becomes the ashes of what used to be romance. Tommy Nelson also says in his book, The Book of Romance, he says this, revere your mate. If you don't, Satan will find someone who will. Hmm. Now look at these last verses, verses eight through 14. He wasn't all talk. He moves from tender words to tender embrace. Look at verses eight and nine. He says, I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. That is in the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. The picture there is is two people overcome by wine, the wine of passion and love. When you read words there like palm tree and clusters and apples and wine, she was an absolute delight to him, an oasis of refreshment. They protected purity in their marriage by having sex. He adored her breasts and her breath, her mouth, her lips. Talk about passionate pursuit. They knew the art of romance. You see, we become what we give. He was ascribing to his wife the very traits that he himself most respected and desired to have in his own life. He wanted to be strong and noble and fruitful and youthful and generous and alert and righteous and regal. A truly good marriage has those uplifting and encouraging aspects to it each person bringing into their relationship the strengthening that gets the best out of the other. He was a better man because of his wife. She was a better woman because of her husband. She was his soul food. Grapes and apples and wine describe how he was nourished by her. If it were Dina, it would be, and the scent of your breath like pizza, but he became what she emotionally fed to him. In preparing this message, Dina told me, I truly believe that God gave me to you, Randy, because you love to laugh. I like to be funny and make you laugh. She says, it's inherent in my nature and God put it there, Randy, just for you. What are we feeding our spouses? Is it a diet of angry words and bitter insults and negativity and put-downs? Or is it a diet of genuine compliments and encouragement and, and, and statements of value? What you feed is what you'll be fed. We truly do become what we eat. A person who at home is receiving nothing but anger And bitterness and hate is gonna go out and give that to the world. But a person at home who receives unconditional love and encouragement and and love and appreciation and respect and tenderness is gonna go give that same thing to others. The man here, Solomon knew that. He was a better king for having had this woman as his queen. Passionately pursue your spouse with tender words, and number two, with tender embrace. Now we get to verse 10 and find out how she felt about him because their romance definitely went both ways. She responds in verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Dina reminds me all the time that she is all mine. I get all of that, she says, that word desire there is tashuka. It's literally, picture this. It's like a crouching animal of prey waiting to devour its victim. Like he was consumed by her. She was consumed by him. Passionate pursuit. She was a one woman man and he was a one woman. She was a one, she was a one man woman and, and he was a one woman man. They were one She was all about him. He was all about her. She was focused on him. He was focused on her. Passionately pursue your spouse with tender embrace. And then notice what she says next. Verse 11. Come, my beloved. Let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. You know what she's saying there? She's saying, let's spend time together. Purposeful time. Let's go get a bed and bath, a bed and breakfast. And and, and wherever you're going, that's just where I want to be. I just want to be with you. Passionately pursue your spouse with tender words, with tender embrace, and with purposeful time. Purposeful time. Date your mate. Make them feel like the most important person on the planet and do it with a genuine heart and leave the kids at home with the babysitter. There's no great family without a great marriage. Dina's primary love language is quality time, but I didn't know that early on. So when I was courting her and pursuing her, I was spending a lot of money on roses and jewelry and greeting cards and all of that. And then later I find out her, her, her love language was quality time. It wasn't gifts. I'm like, do you know how much money I could have saved? But her, what, what shows love to her is she just wants to be with me. It could be going to Walmart with her or Costco traveling together, staying overnight in a hotel together, sitting on the couch and watching old black and white movies over and over and over. Like a verse 12. She says, there, I will give you my love. Sex. The mandrakes give forth fragrance and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh, my beloved. So date, purposeful time, but purposeful sex. The mandrakes and the choice fruits there, those were aphrodisiacs. She's responding now to his romantic gestures and deeds with this strong desire, this tashuka to, to make love to her husband. And she says new as well as old there. In other words, she's willing to experiment in the bedroom. She's got some surprises for him. And so passionately pursue your spouse with tender words, tender embrace, purposeful time, and purposeful sex. Husbands and wives, be creative, be spontaneous, be unexpected. Refine the art of romance frequently and consistently. Not just on the birthday or the anniversary or Valentine's Day. Be creative. Explore each other. Be creative with all the senses. Be innovative. Be unexpected. When your marriage is so strongly rooted in tenderness and respect, that's the kind of passion that will happen. And so stay steadfast in your love for your spouse, but stay innovative in the ways that you express it. So let's summarize, passionately pursue your spouse. Tender words, tender embrace, purposeful time, purposeful sex. There is hope. Your marriage can be as good as both of you want it to be, but it's not gonna just happen. It takes intentionality. My relationship with my wife, Dina, is way better now than it was 28 years ago. It's way better now than it was 20 years ago. 10 years ago, five years ago. It's better today than it was yesterday because we passionately pursue, we tashuka each other. We pursue each other. 28 years, we're looking forward to 60 more, 70 more, 80 more, however many more years the Lord gives us on this earth. Like Dale and Alice Rocky, who before she passed away just recently, they were the longest married couple who were still alive And together. Watch this.
1: We're going. Behind every great man on our way is a greater woman, so the saying goes. But these days...
0: I gotta hang on.
1: It's Dale, who's the engine behind Alice's wheelchair. Better get your legs off. The Rockies are (laughs) each 99 years old. They met just after the turn of the last century as kids in the small town of Hemingford, Nebraska.
0: I didn't pay much attention to him,
1: (laughs) really. Did you pay attention to her? Not especially. (laughs) But by the time high school rolled around, Dale looking suave, and Alice the picture of loveliness, things had changed a bit. Do you remember what your first date was, what you guys did?
0: Went out on the hill and parked and looked at the
1: town. You went and parked on your first date? Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Christ our Lord, amen. Alice was a good Catholic girl, so no kissing and telling here. Suffice it to say that as soon as Dale turned 18, he popped the question How did you propose? I asked her if she had any money. <laughs> they were married December 29th, 1933. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were appearing in their very first movie together. FDR was in his first term as president, and Prohibition was just winding down. Had Prohibition been repealed in time for you guys to go buy a bottle of champagne somewhere?
0: We couldn't afford that.
1: (laughs) Maybe a bottle of pop. By 1958, Dale and Alice were already toasting 25 years together. They were still laughing after 40 years in 1973. Pretty good looking couple. They've now made it 81 years. Is there a a secret to how you guys have stayed together for so long? (laughs) What's that? I always let him have my way. (laughs) You always let him have your way. Very good.
0: (laughs) This year's longest married couple.
1: It's such an achievement, the faith-based group Worldwide Marriage Encounter crowned the Rockies The Longest Married Couple of 2015. Rockies were picked from nearly 400 married couples, most nominated by friends and family. 1939, 75 years. Dick and Diane Baumbach thought their marriage of 48 years was long until they founded The Longest Marriage Project five years ago. When we saw 83 years, 79 years, it was wow. They don't claim the honor is official, But they hope couples like Dale and Alice serve as a reminder of what a lifelong commitment can look like. Is there a common thread that runs through marriages that last seven and eight decades? Yes. Yes. What's that? They do things together, enjoying things together, by compromising and having patience with each other, I think. Eleven. Dale and Alice have five sons, including Tom, now 76.
0: Two for
1: two. He and his well, wife, Sandy, married 50 years, by the way, visit Dale and Alice at this skilled care facility outside of Kansas City. This has been a busy day. Alice's health demanded she come here, but Dale didn't have to. He got himself admitted because being together turned out to be the best medicine of all. Once Dale came, you know, and got moved in, Alice is not only her spirits, but her health just improved i mean they need to be together and maybe in the end that need for another person is the real secret of wedded bliss what a wonderful ride we've had after 81 years dale and alice don't want for much except more time hand in hand
0: it does sound like a long time yeah
1: (laughs) well it has been
0: a good long time Wow. Passionately pursue your spouse. Next Sunday, don't miss week 10 of Love and Marriage, The Art of Deepening with Pastor Ryan. When we're going to see in chapter 8, the woman says, set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. She says, many waters cannot quench love, nor, nor can neither floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. She's saying, I am yours and you are mine forever. And our best example... Is God Himself. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus he pursues us he cares for us he desires to be with us his love is fierce let's pray God thank you Father for your word this morning thank you for this example from Solomon and his bride Lord, help us to to pursue our spouses with tender words and tender embrace and and purposeful time and purposeful sex. God, thank you for this message from your word, your truth. God, I pray that it would sink deep into our relationships with our mates. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.